0: Welcome to an encore episode of the Remarkable Retail Podcast, as Steve and I take a break and recharge for Season 6, launching January 17th, 2023, presented by Marketile. We've removed the current retail events news and have gotten right to
1: the episode's part. That's right. We thought during our hiatus we would bring back some of our most popular episodes from our back catalog, which is now getting pretty extensive. And we also are lucky to have lots of new listeners and subscribers, so... Perhaps they have not heard these before. The last Encore episode that we piloted was top-rated. And yes, as you know, we are all about testing new things here on the Remarkable Retail Podcast.
0: We start with this one goes to 11 from 2020.
1: Why'd you choose this episode, Steve? Well, with eight essentials of a Remarkable Retail, we had a few to choose from. Uh, I guess I wanted to pick this one because it is about number seven being memorable, which I think is the essential that gets most at the heart of what it means to be remarkable. So I thought it'd be good to go back and maybe refresh some people's memories for people that are familiar with the framework. But if not, they'll get to hear a little bit more about it. And one of the most uh, interesting and impactful ones, I think.
0: Well, all right, let's listen in now.
1: I wanted to start out
0: uh, talking about this memorable concept with this uh, great quote. You start many, uh, if not all, the chapters off with a with a quote, but I thought this one resonated with me particularly. So uh, share it with uh, share it with us and share share it with the leader with the listeners.
2: Sure. So the quote is from Gary Friedman, who is the uh, and has been the CEO of Restoration Hardware or RH, as they now like to be known, and it says, or he says. Great brands don't chase customers. Customers chase great brands. I really like it because I think it really underscores the difference between brands that are truly remarkable and memorable and those that maybe are just okay. As managers of retail companies, we basically have to be running around throwing promotions, whatever, at our customers to get them to buy from us as opposed to customers being automatically just kind of intensely interested in us and, and maybe not needing much of a discount at all on the canadian side of the border the bay
0: which is now hudson's bay you know and Sachs and, and whatever used to have their slogan for years what's it's it's hard not to think of the bay and it, it's funny because it, it was kind of trying to capture that same essence right is that the the whatever it was, this zen of being memorable. And memorable I don't think is just this tactical uh, I remember a particular experience but it all rolls up somehow. So why don't you take us through how you see memorable in the context really of the framework. Because memorable um, has a pretty pivotal role and you give lots of examples that we're going to go through on the episode.
2: Uh, I mean certainly memorable can mean a bunch of different things right? Things could be memorable because they're really bad. Of course I'm talking about not only experiences or or brand impact that's that's really good, but something that's more than just a fleeting moment. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's really here, I guess, at the level of business design and brand positioning, we're talking about memorable, not just that. Oh, you had a great sales right. experience one time, or a really good meal, or or something like that. So that's the distinction I tr- I try to make. And and to your point about the bay, I think is this: there's this idea I talk about a little bit. Of, of kind of owning uh, the real estate of the mind, you know, where we've got that mm. top of mind awareness, or mm. maybe when we start to talk about a particular retailer, or it could be a restaurant, it could be whatever, a hotel we just kind of instantly bring up this this vision in the customer's mind of, of what a great experience it is and how how close you feel to that brand. So there aren't that many brands that really occupy that that kind of position, but it's certainly what we're trying to aim for when we try to become remarkable. It's almost like
0: being memorable in the future. In other words, if, if you say a brand like RH, I have an expectation of what it's going to be like even in a brand new store, even in a brand new concept. That's even associated with like an RH or whoever that, that you, you feel. As you said, you've got this space in your mind. I mean, we all play those those fun games with brands, right? When I say Volvo, you say, yeah, uh, right. But you know, this idea that this you're occupying with a memorable experience, but the more important, it's the brand that's memorable, right? And, and sure, and yeah. you know that that's
2: really what you're trying to get to, right? Yeah, I mean, some of this is certainly very much part of what what great branding executives and, and marketing and advertising folks have been trying to do for. For a long period of time is is really create that elevated memorable remarkable whatever you want to call it brand mm-hmm. position, and certainly that can manifest in a lot of lot of different ways, depending upon the product category and and like you say, you know in some cases, there are brands we may not think about very often because we're not in the market for a car constantly right, right? Uh, right. whereas I don't know if you're selling apparel or something, it's much more frequently purchased and you'd want to have that top of mind awareness kind of day in, day out, or at least week to week, month to month. So I I think brand, you know, at the highest level really occupies not only the real estate of the mind, but this really kind of strong emotional connection as well. In many Mm -hmm. cases, a very visual connection. One of the things that I mentioned in my book, but I've been doing in some of my keynotes for a long time, I'll show a picture of what looks to be just kind of the run-of-the-mill run of department store. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll say to the audience, okay, what, what store is this? What brand is this? Right. And depending upon what country I'm in, I'll hear basically the name of the moderate department store that they right. have in town. So in the U.S., Coles, you know, Macy's, JCPenney, that that sort of thing. Then I say, well, actually, I have no idea what store this is. I love that story because I just Googled generic department store interior. And this was the best photo that came up. So I put it in my PowerPoint. (laughs) Then I clicked to the next slide and it's the interior of an Apple store. I don't say that. and, And I ask, well, what store is this? And like instantly everybody in the audience says, "Apple." I'm not trying to make it about visual design, but I think clearly there are all these aspects of brands that, that, we absorb, and some of them just basically don't stand out very much, or it's hard to tell one from the other, whether it's their store environment, or it's actually looking for product, or going to their website, or whatever it might be. And then others just really occupy this special, very memorable place.
0: You know, as you, as you think about the difference between being distinctive and being memorable, and in other words, you know, there's some layouts that are very distinctive, and you can pick it out of a You know, from a screen on a stage. Others just, you know, it leaves you with something greater than the sum of its parts, right? Um, And that's that's what I think about. You know, the collectivity of experience. Talk about that, and and in your mind, what does great experience mean, and how does it roll up to be? Uh, memorable and, and when i say in your experience i'm talking about that very strategic level versus the tactical instagrammable stores or you know something that they've done uh to make it particularly notable like i remember you remember whole foods mm-hmm. i remember whole foods and they and they they did this thing where they stacked the produce up vertically and it was in all the trade magazines it was oh my god look how di-, and it visually was very striking right sure. it was very different but that's not the brand the brand isn't whole foods We're the store that stacks
2: stuff up vertically it was just it was nested in something bigger yeah Yeah. I think there are a couple things here. One is, I mean, there's a little bit of this semantics exercise, I guess we should go, we could go through about what does it mean to be experiential? Right. You know, people have been talking about, Oh, retail is moving to experiences and Uh, return on experience, return on experience. I mean, there's, there's a lot of folks that have myself included that have talked about this. I think it's a little bit vague what we mean when we talk about experience, because at one level, I think all of retail, even if it's, pretty boring is still experiential if you go into a physical store or you're on your mobile device or whatever you're you've got sight touch you're having some sort of experience i think what people are trying to get at is that it's it's something really elevated beyond just kind of the run of the mill transactional mm-hmm. nature of a lot of yeah. retail but to your point i think the second thing is yeah there are experiences that are kind of parts or ingredients of the whole brand that may be very well worth doing. Interesting visuals. Uh, you know, a lot of folks have been putting in coffee bars or a ping pong table or some, you know, interesting uh, visual element. And or a bar to or like in the Nordstrom it's in uh, Manhattan, right? There's a bar in the shoe, in the shoe level. It's sure. There. Yeah. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. And in fact, in a lot of cases that can be super helpful, but that in and of itself doesn't necessarily make for a really memorable brand. So I think we're looking for a collection of things that are, uh, and I think we can talk in a second, maybe about what I think the components of a memorable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. brand strategy are. Uh, but I think we do have to make a little bit of the difference between this kind of a one-off experience or a piece of the brand. And really what I'm trying to talk about here is really the whole of the brand positioning and, and the whole of the growth strategy. I mean, really to surface that, talk about, you know, you could
0: talk about pure play e commerce players can have a great, memorable experience. And of course, we often talk about physical stores just because of of our pedigree as physical stores and and they're so important in retail and, and so much change. But I think of this memorable experience of, you know, a product arrived on time, a product was packed well, it was easy to return. Like there's a whole gamut of things that can roll up to being actually memorable. MarketDial is an easy-to-use testing platform and great decisions, leading to reliable, scalable results. With MarketDial, you can be confident in the outcome of your in-store pilot initiatives before rolling them out across your fleet. In a challenging retail climate of supply chain disruption, labor shortages, and dynamic customer behavior, the need for reliable insights has never been greater. Validate your remarkable ideas with MarketDial's in-store testing solution. The proof is in the testing. Learn more at MarketDial.com. That's marketdial.com. I want to pivot a little bit into you know, this idea that you can take a, a, a fairly vanilla environment and make it special just by dressing it up a little bit, just by kind of adding some things. We've seen recent examples of, of uh, companies trying to do that, whether it was Macy's and they're, uh, they're trying to, uh, to pick up the story theme or, or layouts, or whether it was JCPenney went all the way around. Let's get away from discounts and do something else. What do you what do you think about that? I mean, and, you know, how do companies start to go down this memorable path and, and what steps can they take and, and what
2: steps should they avoid? Well, we've talked about this a bunch of times, so uh, at the risk of being a little bit repetitive, one of the main points I try to make through the whole book and, and certainly in my consulting practice and speaking is this idea that even very good is not good enough anymore, right. uh, that you have to be remarkable and really... That elevates the bar for performance on a whole bunch of dimensions. Just like we might have some interesting visual elements, there are things we can do in our operations or customer service or product, what have you, that can be very solid, very good, but they're not necessarily customer relevant enough or differentiating enough or enough of a departure to really earn that customer's business on a repeatable basis. Uh, One one of the things I talk about elsewhere is, particularly if you think about the Macy's of the world, the JCPenney's, a lot of these department stores or retailers that are maybe not really doing so well and have struggled to differentiate Mm -hmm. themselves in recent years is for them to really mount a reinvention, they have to, unless you have some belief that category spending is going to go dramatically up, the only way their profit model ever works again is for them to steal share Mm. from other competitors. And so it's not necessarily good enough to go from being a, a five to a seven if your competition is at a nine and 10, you know, so
0: they got to go to a like that, like, our, right, they got con- to go to 11, like your, they gotta go to 11 right. Yeah. Cause they got to get people back and they got to, they got to, they actually have to break through a, a, an experience that is memorable for a different reason. And they got to
2: overachieve. So to speak. yeah. And I think it has to be, I mean, certainly there are opportunities to use, price discounts to, to incent trial and, and so forth. But if, if all you really have is, is bribery, uh, <laughs> at a certain point, you can't, you can't consistently be the low price guy if you don't have a low cost position. And certainly relatively speaking, a lot of these moderate department stores don't have low cost positions relative to, you know, the WalMarts to the Amazons and so forth. So, so the idea really is that, Uh, It's one thing to be better, and I certainly think that there are a number of the players, whether we're talking about Pennies or Macy's or Hudson Bay or whatever, that that have done better things in Mm -hmm. recent years. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that they are still not anywhere close to really being memorable, much less truly remarkable in their overall business strategy. So I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all, but what you have to pay attention to is, really, what is it going to take to steal, share and build loyalty over time with the customers you need to win with, a lot of the things that count for innovation at some of these companies really don't move the bar.
0: Well, you, you often said a, a better version of okay, or I think you, you
2: phrased it Well, the slightly, yeah the, yeah. the strategy I talk about is often a slightly better version of mediocre. And right. so right. if if you've been it's mediocre me for a while, as we can think of many brands that have been, a lot of these things are fairly incremental Improvements. And I think, in order to really understand where you need to get to, I think you have to be really honest about what it's going to take to to win those customers that you have to win. Or if you're trying to get some of your existing customers to dramatically spend the amount of money they're spending with you, you know, get more share of wallet, what is that really going to take? And most of the time, it's not just a little bit better visual merchandising and putting in a coffee bar. It harkens back to the quote.
0: In other words, when I think of the original iteration, not so long ago, of Restoration Hardware now, as you say, RH, it was a vastly different, vastly different retailer from a layout and an experience perspective, right? They completely re engineered you know, they didn't tweak it. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, right? They did by all means, they didn't tweak. They they really reinvented what they did and and to be remarkable as 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 I think. Well, you would agree. A, yeah, I mean it's
2: one of the bolder I mean sometimes I Talk about people doing timid transformations, which is a bit of an oxymoron. I think in in the case of our age, it's it's pretty radical. And and one of the things I've said is, I I don't know if I I don't know why I tell this story really because it doesn't make you look great. But I heard Gary Freeman talk about his vision for these RH galleries at a conference. Mm. I don't know, six or seven years ago before they had, well, they'd made some improvements and been shifting the merchandise mix much more towards some of the products they have right now, but they were not anywhere close to these galleries, these new stores, if hopefully 70,000, 80,000, 90,000 square foot. And he did this presentation talking about what they were going to do. I honestly thought it was crazy. Like, wow, this right. is really—it's like, cool, but this is such a leap. And yeah, I was going to say there was two schools of
0: thought about it. To be polite, there was mostly there was one school of thought about it. Like, what are you doing? Like, that's not going to work at all. That's crazy. But
2: man, you know. Well, I—I I, I was wrong, and and part of it probably was just I wasn't as much as I've been pushing innovation and working on innovation for for many years. I think the fact mm. of the matter is very few retailers take such a big leap in one fell swoop. Right. So they hadn't, I mean, they kind of tested elements of it, but I think it was, it was one of these things that if you were going to build this temple to home furnishings, basically there wasn't really a middle ground. You just had to go really take that leap. And, and certainly it's evolved uh, for them as they've opened more stores, but um, it's really, it's really dramatic and, and very successful absolutely
0: um let's unpack uh, again one of the things I like about the book is not only do you talk about these things at a high level but you actually have principles that that the reader and now the listener can anchor themselves in so talk about the the six characteristics of memorable memorable is one of those million dollar terms but you kind of bring it down to these six characteristics talk about those for a bit
2: yeah so I, I tried to um, as we talked about earlier you know really, the point of memorable is really to think about it more at the business design brand positioning level. So that's kind of the first caveat going into this. But, but as you think about what makes a strategy memorable, uh, what makes experiences memorable, the six that I talk about, the first is to really be unique, you know, very different, distinctive, lots of different words you can, you could put against that. The second one is to be intensely customer or customer relevant. So you can certainly think about things that are unique, that you could do that the customer doesn't care about. So these two right. certainly have to work hand in hand. The third, and I kind of hate this word, so maybe I should change it at some point, but it's, <laughs> it's authentic. And and really what I mean by authentic is cause you know, people say, Oh, you should try to be more authentic. Well, if you have to try to be authentic, you're not being authentic, <laughs> right? But other oxymoron, um, yeah. It's really, I think, another way of saying it for for the advertising and marketing types is, is to really be on brand. Just bolting on things that might work for one of these cool fashion brands or a digitally native brand into your store that doesn't really fit with your overall brand position can just really be out of whack. So it has to really fit with your overall brand position or, or move you to where you're trying to go. The next one, which is frankly probably ultimately the most the important one is does it really is it really wow worthy? Does it really evoke almost like a sense of awe or something you really want to talk about? Now some of that is, yeah, do you want to share it on Instagram or tell your friends about it? I think as you were alluding to earlier, it's not just about something that works on Instagram, but it has to be distinctive enough that it kind of creates its own momentum in terms of word of mouth or, or sharing on social media. The yeah. fifth is ownable. And what I mean by that is, you know, can you really make it proprietary to your brand? So you might have a really cool coffee shop, but, you know, is that really going to stand out for you as, a, as an apparel store? How, how does it really be something that you can kind of own that people will associate with your brand in a in a powerful way, and the last one, and this can play out a little bit differently, I think whether we're talking about national retailers or global retailers versus smaller ones, but I think there has to be some element of it's got an enduring quality. There's some sustainability to it, um, so it's not just something you you know there for the season, you know, like an event. Uh, it would really be a series of events that build on each other. Now, I think if it's something that you are trying to, you know, if you are a bigger chain and you're trying to really have this make a real dent in your overall brand positioning, then you have to think about, well, is it scalable? You know, if we can only pull this off in one store, but the economics of it don't work, or we can't have the quality work time and time again on our, uh, our whole chain, let's say, then, you know, may not, maybe be more like a special event as opposed to something that's really intrinsic to your brand.
0: You know, I, I love the, uh, the six-part characteristic because I kind of intuitively would use something very similar to that. In fact, I used your, your kind of notions of that in the most recent tour I did in Manhattan in January in the NRF. I usually take uh, 30 or, or 40 retail CEOs from Canada on a tour, and I come down in advance and try to find remarkable, interesting stores. Uh, in, and, you know, where you're going to go, of course, you're in Manhattan for the NRF show. And, and I've been to stores like, you know, Sonos and Shinola or Shinola as the bus driver called it, um, you know, the dreamery, you mentioned that in, in the book camp and, and, you know, the new Nordstrom story, uh, what are examples that you can think of? And you talk about a few in the book that, that stand out for you in terms of, um, in terms of being memorable against these criteria, very talk about restoration
2: hardware. So what, what, what other ones stand out in your mind? Well, one of the things I do in the book, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but part of the reason I think why we're calling this episode, this one goes to 11. There's kind of two things going on there. There's the subtle reference, which hopefully some of the readers get to about taking things to the next level. Uh, but I actually lay out ways to be memorable, different strategies that, that retailers employ to bring this memorable essential to life. And I happen to list 11 of them, but because I think they have different qualities and trying to, because retail is such a big industry, trying to get some different flavors. But let me just mention a few. So we talked about restoration hardware. I'll just mention that one again quickly, because it's part of what I call a go big or go home strategy, which is, You know, as much as there's been this narrative that there need to be fewer stores and the stores that we have should be smaller because of e-commerce, you do have some retailers going in a very different direction, restoration gallery being one, but we've also got Nebraska furniture mart, a bunch of retailers that have really said, look, we're going to, we're going to create this kind of temple of Consumption, I mm-hmm. guess. I, you know, in, in Toronto they had four or five Restoration Hardware's. Now they have
0: one, but it's it's you know it it is the epitome of being memorable. I think that's what you're what you're talking
2: about, right? And that's also an example of, going back to Gary's quote of well. So customers are chasing you. Like, that's the store I got to go see. If I'm buying this type of furniture, if I'm the the target customer for this, I absolutely have to make sure I go there as opposed to I'm only going to go there if they give me 30% off or whatever. The flip side of the strategy of go big or go home is is what I call Honey, I Shrunk the Store, which are these more uh, micro concepts. Now, the distinction I make, I'm not talking about kind of a skinny version a skinny-down version of, say, a Target store to work in an urban area where they've basically taken stuff out to get the economics to work. I'm talking about really concepts that have been built from the ground up as smaller concepts with more specific purposes. And the one I love the best is, at least so far, is Nordstrom Local, where, as I'm sure some of our listeners know, they've created a, it's a couple thousand square foot store. There's no merchandise in there to buy. Um It's a mostly a personal service store. And it's actually turned out to be kind of an omnichannel or harmonized retail hub where they're right. taking, um, customers can pick up online orders, can return orders. And what I think is so fabulous about this is it's designed for a fairly narrow purpose and it really extends the reach of the retailer and deals with some convenience issues that, that Nordstrom suffers from, frankly, of having relatively few stores in very congested areas. Another one and there's kind of two flavors of this. I call the new customer intimacy. One of the things I think's been going on for a while and is and it's, you know really driven by a lot of the characteristics of of internet shopping which you know creates this long tail where you can have almost anything you want from anywhere in the world. That's driven um, among other things a fragmentation in the market where fairly small segments of customers can get what they want. Whereas before, you know, if you couldn't get distribution in the department store, maybe your product never gets beyond a certain, a certain point. So, so some, some of these might be micro segments serving a very specific type of customer. Um, For example, there's this brand called fluid out of New York, which is focused on uh, the LGBTQ community and so not only do they have products which are more unisex or, you know, non-binary or for non-binary people, but also they build a lot of community and content around it. Um, but, you know, we see the same thing sometimes with, you know, special sizes or people that are have a really specific athletic interest or whatever. So there's a lot of ways where you can kind of cut the market down and build a concept really to go deep on a very small part of the market. The other um, kind of related one is to do something really special and ele- elevated. Um, but, Scott Galloway refers to sometimes as special, not big. There are lots of examples of these. The few that I often talk about are some of these kind of over the top foodie places. Like, Mm. uh, you know, I'm down here in Texas, down the road in Austin is this place called Franklin Barbecue, which I suppose it's the best barbecue in the world. People line up for three hours to get it. Um, but you know, well, you can and, see this And, and as of
0: an indication of, of that, I'm a bit of a barbecue fanatic, and I actually, you know, I follow Aaron who owns it, and, Aaron you know and on social media, and I actually make uh, his sauce. He's got an express sauce. Like, yeah. but
2: it, well, and it's, well, yeah, I think that's one of the things that's really interesting now, too, is that that some of these places, by virtue of how connected we are, and we talked about in the last episode, they so can build a following online, right? And maybe maybe people are just interested in what they're doing. They never actually have their food. Maybe it's like, well, if I ever find myself in Austin, I'm absolutely going to go there, et cetera. And it's it's super interesting. So I think, you know, ninety nine percent of the world may not get get it or go like it's nuts to stand an hour, you know, three outlines, <laughs> three hours in line to get this or uh Talk about Blue Star Donuts in Portland. There's a bunch of examples of this. You know, pay four dollars for a donut I could get for you know sixty cents at the local donut yep. place, right? Yep. So, so it's not for. It's very, very clearly not for everybody, but it is for some people that really are into whatever it is you're selling. So, so mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of a lot of different ways to, to cut this, but it's very much going after more of the minimally viable audience as opposed to I'm going to build this thing mm-hmm. to a multi-billion dollar business.
0: And I guess on on the other end of the scale, you know, as we as we've talked about, as uh, and I'm going to earn you a nickel or fifty cents here by saying bifurcated, but this kind of experience versus efficiency, and on the on the side of efficiency, the experience of ordering whether it's Amazon, Amazon Go, or or Amazon Free Shippo in in, in China, you know, it, it is just relentlessly frictionless, <laughs> um, and it's it's really a, a different type of experience, but still on the same. Idea it's very memorable, right? Going to Amazon goes a very memorable experience, but it's memorable in a different way. It's not Rh memorable, right? right? But it's experientially different. And I want to end, kind of last thoughts on that with, okay. So what does memorable now mean? I don't know if you've given any thought to this in the, in the COVID era, where you know we've got um, stores and retailers who do a little bit of sometimes I think hygiene theater. You know, they have someone walking around squirting stuff. But is that you know, be making it safe? Is that more just a benchmark? Table stakes, as we would say? Or, or what is memorable now in the, in the COVID era? You know, I, I've,
2: I've been thinking about that. I'm not terribly sure a lot has changed. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, certainly safety and hygiene has been elevated in terms of things we worry about now. And presumably, even when we get beyond the pandemic will yeah, sure. still worry about in a in a different way. I guess I generally think it's created a new set of baseline expectations mm. that it's probably hard for anybody like, like I certainly think there are examples and, and things that were reported in the press about retailers that were particularly innovative were first movers in terms of yeah really demonstrating great sanitation practices and and appointment-based shopping and a lot of other things that really, really were responsive to... Great crow side, whatever, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but I think, you know, one of the things I make the point throughout the book is you have to really think about those things that really convey long-term competitive advantage, and there are lots of things that may give you an edge for a period of time, and that doesn't, you know, you may very well want to do them. Um, But if they're too easy to copy, or if it does become the new expectation, then that's not really earning you more than maybe a few weeks or a few months lead. So yeah, do it, but don't think that that's the thing that's going to make you remarkable. Now, it may be true that you can be remarkable because you are just consistently ahead of where you know you're you're going to where the yeah, consumer yeah. is going, and you All build the a process, you're always, right, That you're yeah, just yeah, agile yeah. and responsive, and you're always a little bit ahead of the game. You know that could be a, a, an underlying engine for innovation. Uh, and you know if you look at say, I mean, this is probably not the best example, but if you look at say fast fashion, right? I mean, they they reengineer their whole supply chain so that they are ahead of the trend with very attractive price points. That's built into their model, uh, and it's it's not so easy. For the traditional competitors to to compete with that, so yeah. so I think that that seemingly small edge ends up being big when you do it consistently. But but as it relates to the to the pandemic, I mean I think the the other thing maybe that's a little bit more of a strategy point, and I know we've touched on on a few times, but you know with the the, the lines of digital and physical blurring. But we are seeing brands that were able to respond to the shift to online shopping, but in particular the store fulfillment of digital orders, whether that's the curbside pickup or or home delivery or yeah, ship from right store now. and if you 've really built the foundation of that harmonized shopping and, and really have embraced the blur in a very fundamental way and made a lot of the technology investments and the cultural investments and all those kinds of things. I mean, that can give you real, real advantage, uh, but it is becoming that, that seamless shopping experience, whatever you want to call it, that is becoming an expectation now. And so I, I think that was happening pre pandemic, but certainly like everything, I think we say every episode Accelerate. has been accelerated.
0: If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform, so you can catch up with all our great interviews, including Hal Lawton, talking about Tractor Supply's remarkable life out here growth story. New episodes of Season 5, presented by Market Dial, will show up each and every Tuesday. And be sure to tell your friends and colleagues in the retail industry all about us.
1: And I'm Steve Dennis, author of the best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. You can learn more about me, my consulting, and keynote speaking at stephenpdennis.com.
0: And I'm Michael LeBlanc, consumer retail growth consultant, keynote speaker, and producer and host of a series of retail trade podcasts, including this one. You can learn even more about me on LinkedIn, and you can catch up with Steve and I in person at the NRF Big Show in New York, January 16th on the stage, talking about what it takes to be remarkable with container store SVP Gretchen Gantz. See you in New York, everyone.